if you don't like the environment, meaning the people that you're working with, the, the office you're required to be in, the commute that you have to go in, the travel or lack thereof that the job is going to require of you, the subject matter won't matter. Hi, I'm Richard Relston. Welcome to Focus on Progress, the podcast for you, the online business owner who wants to see more progress in your business, in your life, and in the lives of those you lead. In this podcast, you'll hear stories from people who have faced difficult things and overcome them. We'll uncover the thoughts, ideas, and actions that have enabled these people to move forward and make progress despite the challenges. Today's guest is Zandra Zarrar, founder of Little Yellow Couch. Zandra is an interior design coach who teaches people how to confidently express their personal style through their home decor. Although as a child she loved being creative, Zandra's life took her on a number of different adventures as she tried to discover what she really wanted to do. In this episode, she shares how she pursued with a passion the things she was interested in and how she knew when it was time to change and do the next thing. This is a fascinating listen for anyone who is wondering how to find their purpose. Hi Zandra, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking with you. Now, you're a designer, aren't you? Yes, you could say that. Well, one of the things that really interests me about, well, there are a lot of things that really interest me about design, but we are quite an arty family. And my daughter uh, <laughs> did spatial design back in the day. Uh, did, ah. She did her master's degree, uh, honours degree, actually, I think, in spatial design. And so I feel like I kind of did my degree with her. So not that I know anything about it, but uh, you, know, you know how you work things through with your kids. Yes. So I, I, am, I love design. I love interior design. I love everything about design. One thing that really winds me up is bad design. So uh, as we get to this conversation, uh, let's start there. What, what is good design? Oh, well, that's a great question. Good design solves problems. It takes a room, a space that's not working. And when I say not working, it could be anything from what you would normally think of, like the layout's bad or there's no natural light, to it's not working because, and this is going to sound a little woo-woo, but it's not working because the feeling is off. The the, right. the the space gives you takes motivation sucks it out of you rather than giving it to you that kind of thing so so good design solves problems in a beautiful way ah that's really great and of course in in this case with you we're talking about interior design yes but yes. i think that's i think that's actually true of all design yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about people who create logos, for example. I mean, yeah. the, you know, people who do graphic design. I mean, a lot of it is about problem solving. Architecture and interior design are both about problem solving. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, so what was your definition again? Can you state your definition again? Good design solves problems in a beautiful way. Right. So it leaves you with this feeling that mm -hmm. being in that space, it's a nice space to be with. Yes, and it does whatever you need it to do. I mean, a lot of people fall back on, you know, like when I ask somebody, well, what do you want this space to feel like? They'll say comfortable. And and that's like a buzzword for me that I, I lets me know that I really need to dig a lot deeper with this person because everyone says comfortable. Right. But if you flip that around and say, well, 
who wouldn't want to feel comfortable? I mean, that is a given. We need to go a little bit deeper and get a little bit more specific about what you want this room to do for you. Because if you think about it, like comfortable is not actually necessarily how you want to feel in your kitchen. In your kitchen, you might want to feel creative or thrifty or inspired you know you that's that's a much more active room in the home than say the living room where sure you might want to be comfortable right that's really interesting i hadn't really thought about it that way so this is your approach to helping people design spaces that are beautiful for them Right. Yes. So I call myself an interior design coach. I don't know if that's a real thing or not, but after years of trying to describe to my mom what I did, she actually said, so you're kind of like a coach. I went, oh my gosh, yes, that's exactly right. I found out, oh, probably six years ago, maybe more than that, that I didn't want to be a designer for other people. I didn't want to go in and solve problems for people. I wanted to help them learn how to solve problems for themselves. And I think that's based more on my own um, trajectory when it comes to my, my career as it's developed. I'm not a professionally trained designer, and so I'm not comfortable calling myself one. But what I have done is taught myself over 20, 25 years I've trained my eye and I figured out what's worked. And so I'm interested in sharing that process with other people who are just as geeky and nerdy and passionate about design as I am. You know, it's not for everyone. Some people really want to hire a designer and have it just be done for them in a month. But not everybody wants that. That's really interesting. So let's wind the clock back a little bit because you said that you're a designer by experience over the last 20 or 25 years. What was it that inspired you to get into design? (laughs) Well, it's not that different than many people um, who have come to this world without any formal training. And, And I say this world because interiors has really taken off in the past decade with the HGTV in particular has just blown it up and reality TV shows and now magazines and, and all of that. And, and so I, like many people, it started with just doing it for myself. Um, And I would say, I could say it was my very first home or uh, with my husband when we finally had a home, but you know, it really started way before then. It really started back in my college dorm room, my childhood bedroom. I mean, you know, I used to turn my my closet into a New York City apartment when I was 10. Um, okay. So I guess it's always been in me. But, you know, I pursued quite a few other things from college. I went to grad school. I tried on a lot of different careers. I'm just one of those people that just couldn't find that thing that 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 she was really passionate about. And and all this time I'm moving and I'm redoing apartments and then houses and and getting so much great creative um, feedback, you know, one of those feedback loops, you do something that feels good and then you keep doing it and it kind of loops around. And it, it was really where I was funneling all of my creative energy and it just felt really good. And frankly, but right before I started my business, I was having a little bit of um, anxiety about 
kind of coming out of the closet and telling people I love to decorate <laughs> because I felt like, you know, decorating has this connotation of being really uh, frivolous and silly and you know mm. not mm. very important uh, and there there are aspects of it that i mean this is not brain surgery we're talking about here and i'm not saving the planet or curing cancer but well I you might be well maybe no, i'll I, maybe I, i'll design a room for someone who is trying to cure cancer how about well, that <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean if you create spaces that uh help people to relax uh stress-free spaces then that's all going to have an impact on the quality of life, right? I totally believe that. And that's kind of what I finally came to and what allowed me to say, you know what, I'm going to embrace this. This is who I am. I love design. I love beauty. And I love it for deeper reasons than just, ooh, goody, I get to go buy another throw pillow. Right. Okay. So so you were coming through college and you went and did a grad program. What was that in? Well, I have two graduate programs, actually because I'm a glutton for punishment. My first one was in urban cultural anthropology and uh, studying different cities across the world and the, and kind of how cities come to be and how people are affected by living in them and how they affect the city themselves. And then I thought I was going to go on and get a, uh, a PhD in anthropology. And I took a couple courses and uh, at another school that I was kind of trying out their PhD program. And I realized that I didn't, it wasn't broad enough for me. My, I have a lot of curiosity about a lot of things. And to be a professor, you have to really want to go deep in one area. Yeah. And so then I thought, okay. So I went back to my graduate school advisors. I said, well, what can I do with this? It's more practical. And they said, well, how about public policy? Um, so I so that's when I got my other degree from in public policy, and that took me even less time to realize I didn't want to do anything with that degree. <laughs> so um, kind of expensive in terms of my trial and error, but all of my past experience have informed who I am today. At least that's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, so I mean, it's not a massive jump to go from urban cultural anthropology to design. I get really there's a connection. I mean, they're both they're both about how we live. So they're they're it kind of it makes sense in my head, and clearly it's making sense in your head. So I yeah, appreciate that. I, I can I can see that connection. Public policy, ah, uh, that's a little <laughs> more challenging. I I guess if you're going to get into designing, you know, um, public buildings, then maybe. So right, right. so you must have gone through a few dilemmas then. Yes, absolutely, and a, a lot of what am I going to do with my life? Kind of nights spent, you know, pulling my hair out. So so tell me about that. How did you work that stuff through? Because I, there's a lot of people who are out there talking about, you know, you need to find your purpose. And yet mm -hmm. there's a whole nother, uh, there's a whole nother way of looking of, at that that I've heard, which is like, if you just decide on something that you're interested and passionate about, or just do something long enough, you'll turn around, well, you'll get good at it over time. Well, most mm -hmm. people do if they stay in it long enough. I, I mean, if they don't get good enough, they bail out, right? But if they stay in it long enough, they get reasonably good at this thing. And at some point, they may even become an expert. And then they look back and they'll go, oh, this, this is my purpose. This is what I, I'm meant to be doing. And they love it. Yeah. So what was your process of, of going through and realizing that what you were studying wasn't what you wanted to give your life to? 
Mm-hmm. How did you mm-hmm. work some of that stuff out? Because I know there'll be listeners here who are working through some of that stuff. Well, uh, I, I guess I want to say two things on, on all of that. One is that I have always followed my curiosity. And that's because I get passionate. I get that feeling of passion when I'm learning something new. And that always just feels really good to me. That's like a dopamine hit. Yeah. So I, I dig into something and I I do go pretty far into it. I get really committed to something. It could be a hobby or it could be what I think is going to be a career path or it could be graduate school. Clearly. And I get really, really into it. Right. Yeah. And and that I think that's the way to find out whether or not it actually has any longevity for you is yeah. You know, I don't just dip my toe in and kind of guess what that might look like for me five years down the road. I really, really commit to it for a certain length of time. Um, and I, I guess that's that's true about anything that we want to really figure out whether or not we're on the right path. You don't know if whatever you think is a good idea is going to be a good idea if you don't actually try it out in the real world. So I guess that's one thing. I, I would just keep trying these things and not knowing that I was just trying, like not knowing like, oh, I'm going to give this two years. And then if it, if I don't love it anymore, I'll bail. I, I always go into it thinking like, oh my God, I finally found the thing that I love. But the cool thing is, is you meet so many interesting people along the way. I mean, for Absolutely. a while there, I was interested in heirloom seeds and gardening and urban gardens. And I went through this down this whole heirloom seed path where I met these master gardeners who were like in their 90s. And the wisdom I got from those people, not just about gardening, but about life, because they're in their 90s. You know, I look back on that so fondly. Um, so, so that's one thing is, is the experience of really committing to a project or a passion. So, so like if it's raining and you're going to go out in the rain, you're going to go out and get drenched. You're not going to go out and say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to try not to get wet going out in the rain. You're you're going, it's raining. I'm going out there. I want to get totally drenched. I want to really feel and experience what this is like and see where it leads. Absolutely. Yes, that is that's a great description. I love I love the picture you're putting in my head. Yeah. Yeah. So you dived into a few of these things. What was the thing, if anything, or if you can pinpoint it, that you realized this wasn't the thing? Because you're, you're not diving in these things for five minutes and then going, oh, right. don't like this. Don't like the taste of this one. Uh, I don't like vanilla ice cream. going to try chocolate. Whatever. doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, you're getting into this deep. So at what point and what were the things that let you know that huh, maybe this isn't where what you want to give your life to? You know, it's almost never the subject matter of the thing that I get tired mm. of. It's the environment in which it requires me to work. Huh. Um, there's a theme my, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, there's a there's an environmental theme. Um, I, I one of the hats I wore for a number of years was as a career counselor in a college, okay. and um, I used to tell the students that, like, let's say somebody was a, a literature major, right, and they loved to read, and so then they just automatically think, I'm going to go into publishing. Because unless you're a writer yourself, you know, what else do you do if, if you're an English major? And I would say to them, I get that what you think you're going to be doing is reading books all the time. 
But what you're actually going to be doing is reading books 10% of the time and 90% of the time, you're going to be doing a whole lot of other things. So go interview some alumni that are in publishing and ask them, what is their day like? How do they spend their time? Because if you don't like the the environment, meaning the people that you're working with, the, the office you're required to be in, the commute that you have to go in, the travel or lack thereof that the job is going to require of you, the subject matter won't matter. Zandra, that is so good. That is, there is a huge amount of wisdom in that. Uh, yeah, and, and I read somewhere a few years ago that people often join a business or an organization uh, because of the mission of the organization and, right. and what they think it's going to do and how, and they get really passionate about that. And they leave because of the environment and often their manager. Exactly. And, and that's, that's exactly right. That's so sad in many ways. <laughs> but what it also shows is that we are relational. We are very relational as people and, and we, relate, mm-hmm. we relate to one another, but we also relate to the environment that we're in. Yes. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm skipping ahead to maybe a question you're going to ask me anyway, but um, I think the reason why I'm so happy right now and I've stuck with this thing that I'm doing right now for so long is that I love all of the aspects of what the job entails. I love the fact that I get to work from home. I love the fact that I get to talk to people, but I love all the business and the marketing. You know, that, that's what makes me feel like, oh, I finally found it. So you found an environment that fills you up. Right, right. I think that's key. Yeah. And, and so you're working through all these other things that you're doing, all this grad program stuff, working uh, as a counselor, learning all about heirloom seeds and gardening and all these <laughs> sorts of things. And they're still not quite satisfying they're not quite <laughs> filling you up enough and right. and so what brought you back then to uh, design and interior design so i uh i don't like the word creative as in i'm a creative that's kind of a new way that people are now referring to themselves it sounds frankly a little bit uh pretentious to me so um I hesitate to use it. I guess I guess I would say that I love to be creative. Maybe that maybe that's a better way of of putting it. Um, I grew up in a very creative family. Blah blah blah. So anyway, I, I always gravitate toward things that are going to trick that are going to require either me doing something with my hands or solving problems in creative ways. And I say doing things with my hands because, you know, remember this whole time as I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with my life, I am hands-on recreating homes for myself. You know, I'm, mm. I'm learning how to put down tile and flooring and I'm, I'm painting and I'm learning how to put up wallpaper and learning how to create vignettes and shop for furniture and all that stuff. Is, is, you know, still never thinking like career, anything career related to it. It's just what I've been doing. And I just love getting my hands dirty in that way. Or, and creative problem solving. So anyway, so uh, before I started the, the business that I'm that I'm currently in, one of the things I thought I would try my hand at is, is making things and applying to craft shows with home items that I had been making. So specifically things like, trays, picture frames, pillows, those kinds of things. 
And I did that for a little while and it was, it was really fun. I loved meeting people uh, at these shows who were buying my things and talking to them about what they, what they were going to do with them in their homes. Mm. Um, and I really didn't even mind the schlepping and everything. And it was exciting. You know, you, you sell out, like you make 50 trays and then you've sold them all and you walk home with a wad of cash. It was very, it was very instantaneously rewarding kind of yeah. thing. But then I realized, okay, if I want to make this a real thing, I have to scale it. And I didn't understand anything about scale. I had just started learning about marketing. And so I, I started looking into, okay, well, what would it cost to hire somebody and train somebody to do what I do so I could, you know, make 200 trays, not just 25 at a time. And it felt the idea of teaching someone how to do it and the idea, the money that was going to be involved to do it did not feel like a good challenge to me. It felt like a weight. Right. And secondly, I was getting burnt out. I realized that what I liked most about what I was doing was not the making of things repetitively over and over again. It was the making the first one. Right. And then I'd like to pass it off to somebody else. I also was starting to really enjoy the marketing. So a combination of it getting burnt out and this feeling of scaling a physical product, feeling like a heavy challenge and not an interesting, curious challenge. Um, I teamed up with a friend who was kind of doing the same thing in a similar place. And we thought, you know, let's just join forces and let's start a blog. And this was, at this point, home decor blogs were pretty big. So it was kind of hard for us to break through the noise, but we, we kind of struggled through it and we created a ton of content. And in that time, that's when I just really buckled down and started learning a lot about marketing and really fell, fell in love with that aspect of the business. And then I fell in love with the, even the bookkeeping aspect of the business, I wasn't really minding. And I would be the last person that would think that I would be interested in business because like I said, I didn't grow up in that kind of a household. And also I, I do not have a brain for math. And so I just assume business was math and therefore that's not me. Right. So it, it was surprising to me that I liked business, but anyway, um, so we struggled for a while and then uh, long story short, we decided to start a podcast. Well, and, just hold on a second. What yeah. on earth, how, why did you go from craft shows mm -hmm. to being a blogger? Were you just online looking for ideas and, and there were blogs out there and everybody was blogging? So you went, oh, we'll just do that as well. Well, I, I wasn't looking, to, I didn't think of blogging as a, an avenue for us or a business avenue right away. Like I said, I teamed up with a friend. She was also incredibly talented person, seamstress, anything, really, she could do anything. So again, my, my, my love of homes and interiors, that's the undercurrent in my personal life through, through doing all of these other things. And I appreciated uh, good craftsmanship and the handmade and the thoughtful design and all of the details. And that's mm. what I was endeavoring to put into my own things that I was making. So that's always been on my radar. And so naturally I was looking at blogs that was about DIY or renovating right. old homes or, you know, I mean, it was just part of what I did for fun, scrolling through Pinterest, that kind of thing. But what we decided is if we were going to transition away from selling physical products with two separate businesses, hers and mine, and join forces, we, we decided what we really want to do is talk about design and educate people and discover it and follow our curiosity about it and highlight handmade 
items and the makers who make them. And mm. it, so it, it just sort of, it felt very natural to kind of go from making things to blogging about them. Right. And, and like I said, the blogging thing, the blogosphere was was really saturated at that point for interiors. And um, how, how long ago was this? So let's see, that was 2013 to 2015. So seven right. years ago, right? And then about seven years ago is when we we kind of came around to the idea of starting a podcast. And, and we were not that interested in it at first because interior design is such a visual medium and well, how would this ever work for podcasting? And it took us a while to kind of realize that this is not going to be an a how-to kind of podcast where we would show you DIY projects because that that's for YouTube. Right. It was going to be conversations about why design matters, why style matters. And in fact, that ended up being the name of our of our podcast, Style Matters. And that's when the business really clicked for me personally, for us professionally, because podcasts at the time were, were relatively, you know, they were still, they weren't mainstream by any stretch of the imagination and design podcasts, I think there was like two. So um, we, we hit it at the right time and, and really found our stride and I'm so glad we did. <laughs> yeah, that sounds, that sounds amazing. That, that's pretty fascinating. So how did you then go from there? Because uh, blogs, I know blogs can make money when you um, when you monetize them through ads or if you have mm -hmm. something to sell. And the same thing with podcasts. Uh, but at that time, you had kind of gone from selling these physical products that you were making at craft shows and that sort of thing. And now you're online, you're in the online world, and you're doing lots of writing and you're doing lots of podcasting. How is that turning some dollars? Mm. Well, so... Funny, do you want me to tell you like a businessy kind of story about the podcast? Tell us a business story about the podcast. That would be really <laughs> okay. interesting. When we first started the podcast, the reason we were starting it was purely business related. We weren't that passionate about it. We didn't know what we were doing. We thought, okay, the only way we're going to get people to notice us and for our blog to get any traction is for us to know people who are bigger than us, people right. who are further along. We thought, well, how do you meet those people? How do you, you know, you, you send them what an, an email saying, hey, check out my blog and can you give it a thumbs up? We thought, well, what if we interviewed them? <laughs> and honestly, that was the reason we're going to interview them and become their best friends. And then they're going to talk about us and then they're going to promote the podcast. And then, then people will finally discover our blog. I, I didn't even understand that the podcast itself would become the core driver, the engine of my business at right. the time. Uh, I was so using funny. it and I was using these people. To, I didn't even care if anybody downloaded the podcast. I didn't care if anybody listened. I just wanted to meet these bigger fish. That's fascinating. And so I bet you <laughs> did. I bet you did meet some really interesting people. We did. And I, I think we had a really good break early on in our first season. We were at a we were attending a um, a conference for designers and bloggers and that sort of thing. And the keynote speaker was Maxwell Ryan, who was the founder of Apartment Therapy, which is a big deal blog at the time. And now that's spun off into lots of other things. 
he was the keynote speaker. I absolutely loved what he was saying about design. Like he was a very thoughtful person. It was not at all about the throw pillows. It was about all the good, deep stuff that goes into what home is. So right. I was really taken with him. And so my my partner and I, we kind of we kind of shored up our courage and got in the whole book signing line because he was promoting a book. And we knew we had like one minute, one minute to make our pitch. So we did. And we, you know, stumbling of our words and would you love, would you like to be on our show? And he thought for a second, he said, you know, this whole podcasting thing is new to me and I'm really kind of interested in it. So yeah, sure. Wow. And once we got him, then we were able to get a lot of other big names and then it just kind of compounded on itself. So that, that first person really made a difference. Right. So now you're building an audience. And, yes. and again, this is really interesting because it's relational again. It, it's, yes. it, it often is who you know and who you can connect with. And Absolutely. obviously he found it valuable to be connected because he was starting to get interested in podcasting as well. So it, that was a great fit. So you still haven't told me though how this is starting to bring in money. <laughs> okay, right. So um, we did this for like two years. I mean, we were kind of in the mindset of, we know we have to build great content first so that people, you know, have a reason to follow us or to sign up for our newsletter or whatever. So we were kind of really on, in on that uh, mission for, for, I think we could, we kind of dragged it out longer than we needed to, but it was a couple of years of just trying to create content. And, and you know, pretty soon we realized the importance of the podcast and storytelling and that this was a great way to build an audience. So then we mm -hmm. got really committed to the podcast for two years and tried to make it as good as we could. Um, and then my business partner decided for lots of different reasons, it doesn't matter. She decided to leave the business and I got to take it on my own. And at that point I said, okay, I am ready to make some money with this thing. So the first thing I did was say, okay, I've got this great audience. We all are giddy about interior design. The, the audience for my podcast, by the way, is just normal people who love homes and interiors. It's not a, it's not a show for professional designers and how to build a business. It, it's, it's, it's for those of us who just want to have a beautiful home. So yeah. I had this audience of people that were really, really engaged. And I thought, what would be the next best thing for them and for me? And what do I want to do? And I thought, I want to have the best girls weekend ever, where all I do is immerse myself in really cool design. So I created a retreat and okay. they came. They can, I can say, why not? Why not? Well, I am kind of that kind of a person too. I'm like, yeah, why not? Let's just try it. Um, the game, I, it I was amazing. That. We, ha it was, uh, it was the best retreat. Um, we were stayed in a beautiful place. We did some antiquing. We had some hands-on workshops. Uh, we had fabulous food. You know, it was exactly what I would want to go, the kind of retreat I would want to go on. And that was the start of it. That was how I started monetizing. And I did that for a little while and then COVID hit. And at that point, uh, oh, I guess I, I had also started a course. I thought, okay, I need, I can only do like two or three retreats a year and they're high ticket items, which is nice, but it's still only income coming in two or three times a year. Mm. So I thought I need something else to kind of plug in in between. And I thought, how about a course? Online courses were really big. So I, I developed the course. Honestly, didn't love teaching it. I tweaked it a couple of times, tried to make it better still wasn't loving it um but anyway it was what i is what i had i had my retreats and my course and then COVID hit and 
no more retreats. Right. And I thought, okay, well, I don't just want to do the courses. That's something that I, I don't like doing particularly. And that's when right around then is when I started my membership. And now that's where my full focus is. And I absolutely love it. And so that is along with sponsorships for the podcast, that's where the money comes in, at least for now. Wow, that is so fascinating. So who are the sorts of people that join your membership? And and what is the promise that you make them? What do they get from being there? They learn how to train their eye, find what's beautiful to them, bring it into their homes, let go of the things that are weighing them down emotionally or spatially, and create a space that tells it's like their visual autobiography. The whole point of it is that they're connecting their life goals to their environments. And their environments are the, the sort of the cushion, the, the, the inspiration, the starting place for them to reach their life goals. So what they get out of it is practical knowledge, design knowledge on how to actually make things work from a technical perspective, but they also get a feeling of confidence and empowerment because they are creating their own style. Nobody's coming in dictating to them what looks good, what doesn't, what they should and should not do. They are really expressing themselves in a very kind of public way because people come into our homes and they see what we've got in there, mm, mm. who they are. So I believe they get a lot of confidence and feelings of empowerment from this. And then the last thing they get is a community, which, you know, is has become something that I think people like even more than all of the lessons that I teach. Right. Um, the community has been really key for some people because they're, you know, not all of us have friends whose hobbies align with ours. And if their hobby is interior design, you know, who are they going to talk to about it? And, you know, probably not their friends. So now that all of a sudden they have a whole community of people they can geek out on design with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I mean, as you know, for me, I'm all about community and I'm all about yes. helping people make progress and connect with yes. others and, and move forward. Uh, and I've said this in the show notes and I've said this on the podcast a hundred times that, um, well, not a hundred times yet because I haven't done that many podcasts, but I, I say this all <laughs> the time when I'm talking to people. And that is, I totally believe we have so much more potential than we think we do. And mm. my job, I see my job and my passion, my what I'm giving my self to um, in this life is helping draw people's potential um, out mm. of them and mm. help them realize that they have amazing potential and help them realize that into the real world. And it sounds like you're doing something very similar just in the specific area of uh, interior design. Well, thank you. I, I do like to think of myself that way. And, and you know, it's funny because so much of what I've learned from you, Richard, has crept into not just how I'm running my business, because, you know, I, I go to you for business advice, but it, it actually creeps into how I teach people to develop their eye and create a dream home, because it's all about getting started and not about focusing on the end goals. It's about how do I start? And it's that next tiny step. I mean, I have now used that philosophy in newsletters that I sent out. It's in lessons that I give. It's in videos wow. that I make. It's 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 just really exciting about how um, how fundamental that 
philosophy is to living a good life. Yeah, we've we've just got to start. And, yeah. and I think I think your story is fascinating because you got interested in something, you started and then you and you dived in head first. It's like I mean, we talked about the analogy of going out in the rain, but it's right. it's I think most of us have had that experience of standing on the edge of a pool or yeah. on a rock diving into a river or a lake or on a on a on a diving board. And yep. there's that point where we're going, ah, this is a bit scary. It's too high or how, I don't know how warm the water is or probably more right. likely how cold the water is. This is a little <laughs> bit scary. But the moment we start and we step off, there's no going back. It's like right. we're in and we get totally right. we get totally wet and we have a full immersion experience. <laughs> um, and so that starting is so, so important and... Uh, you know, my my philosophy is that the smaller you can make that starting point, the easier it is mm, uh, yes. to to get done and get some result out of it. And often the result for people is, wow, I can do this. I can make a start. I could get onto this thing that I've been procrastinating about for so long or been dreaming about for so long and just thought it was so overwhelming. Um, well, and I think that's for me, it's really taken the fear out of it. It's it's that I'm not, you know, if you use the diving analogy, it's not that I'm when I dive in, I have to win a gold medal at the Olympics for my diving skills. It's that I just have to step off. I just yeah. have to do one little thing. It just takes the fear out of it and the pressure off. And I, that's just helped me so much. And I, I think I use the analogy all the time with, with my students in the membership, because for whatever reason, doing things to our homes is very scary for a lot of people. It feels like this huge commitment. It feels like they don't know where to start. What if they pick the wrong color? What if they buy the wrong sofa? What if they you know do something that, that feels so irreversible to them? And so I have to do a lot of this um, kind of talking through, talking people off the ledge about we're just going to do this one small thing. Yeah, either either talking them off the ledge, but you don't necessarily mean backwards. You mean take a step forwards, <laughs> right? Or pushing them <laughs> off the ledge. Yeah, right. Depending on which direction they really need to go. <laughs> yeah, that, because there's very few things that we do in life that we can't change or that are irreversible. And yeah, it, it, it costs some money and I, I get that. And we've all made plenty of, uh, we'd say we've all made plenty of mistakes around that. But hopefully if we're smart, we've learned um, from those things that we've done and gone, you know what, maybe that shade was a little bit too dark for the bedroom or whatever. Yep. You yep. know, Ex we've all done it's that. It's the only way to and, learn. Yeah. Yeah. And and you can try and figure it out and you can think about it as much as you like but it's not until you take that you know your next tiny step and move forward that you actually start to experience uh what Absolutely. it's like to make progress and uh and yeah I, i'm passionate about that i can talk about that stuff all day long <laughs> yes, so yes what what are you working on now where, where do you see the future for you well one of the, another thing I've learned from you, Richard, is that I tend to try to do too much at once. So, ah, really? Uh, this this year, <laughs> <laughs> this year, my commitment is to the membership, and I'm not going to try to do 50 million other things. I'm not going to launch a bunch of different 
projects. I've, I've decided to forego the course. I've decided to not do any retreats this year and really dig down into my current customers and give them a ton of value. Uh, I, I had a really good launch the last time I opened the doors and I feel like my, my messaging was finally really on target because the people that came into the membership are the ones that I really wanted to attract mm. and they're staying and they're really engaged. And so I'm going to launch it two more times this year that that's, that's in the, on the calendar. And I just want to keep digging into that, that Avenue. Um, I'm very excited about it and it, and yeah. it feels, feels good to focus so deeply on one thing. I mean, I also have the podcast. So of course I am still doing that, but I've been doing the podcast for six years. So it's not that it's on autopilot by any means, but it, it, I don't have to learn anything new in that regard. Uh, you know, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, wow, that, that is exciting. That is really, really exciting. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us today. If people wanted to get hold of you and find out more about who you are and what you're up to and explore the interior design thing with you, where can they connect with you? Well, first, thanks, Richard. Honestly, I'm truly honored to be on your show and oh, to be you're asked. Welcome. So, so I appreciate it. Um, you're I just, welcome. I've learned a lot from you and from our Progress Pod, and uh, it's fun to talk about this kind of stuff. So, anyway, my everything you can find out about me is on our website, littleyellowcouch.com. The podcast is on there. The membership information, my slow style philosophy is on there. I have a free guide that you can grab uh, to figure out what your style is in the first place. There's a lot of great content on there. So anything related to me is littleyellowcouch.com. Fantastic. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. And, um, I, you know, hopefully some people will go over there and uh, download your freebie and have a look and, and uh, yeah. connect into your world with you. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, so thank just you, as, Richard. Just as we come to the end, wrapping all this up, what is kind of one idea that you'd really like to leave us with today? I guess what I'd like to leave people with applies to both how I would coach somebody in developing their dream home, as well as what I've really learned about business. When I talk to people about developing their dream homes, so much of it comes down to creativity. And I get a lot of people coming to me feeling like they're not creative. And my answer to that is creativity is simply the act of creation. It's the act of making something uh, either in your mind, that's going to be, you know, kind of like a, a virtual product, or it's something that you make in your hands, it's something you change. I understand there's a kind of creativity that we're talking like Picasso and Mozart, and I'm not talking about that, you, you know, you do have to have some aptitude for that kind of thing. But I'm just talking about the pleasure of creativity. And what I say to people is, the only way to become creative is to practice it. You just mm. have to fiddle around. And it, it could be a vignette on your shelf where you're teaching your eye things like scale and proportion and symmetry and stuff that you might not have the language for, but you're still learning the principles behind because you're actually doing it for real yourself. Move that furniture around, paint that wall, just do it, just try it. That is how you're gonna learn how to be creative. And I think the same applies to business. You know, so many fails that I've had, I have learned from every single one of them. I know that sounds like a cliche, but I really like, I feel like I have amassed so much knowledge about what works for me in business, how I want to run a business, 
what works, what doesn't, how I want to be authentic and give something back and all of that through practice, through trying. So I, I guess I'm a big believer in that. Thank you, Zandra. That is so great. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Richard. Zandra surprised me so many times in this interview, doing two grad programs, studying heirloom gardening, working as a career counsellor, and then making products to sell at markets, starting a blog, a podcast, and now her own online membership. I love how Zandra gets an idea and runs with it as far and as fast as she can. I also found it really interesting the way she uses the indicators of environment and relationships to let her know when it's time to move on to the next thing. So what were your takeaways? What did you find helpful or interesting? You can let me know by clicking the link in the show notes below. It will open a cool app called Video Ask where you can leave me a message. I'd especially like to know your thoughts on this episode, but feel free to share whatever you'd like to. I'm always up for a chat. And if you enter your email address, I'll message you back. So click the link in the show notes and leave me a message. I look forward to hearing from you. As I'm sure you've realized, I'm passionate about helping people make progress. One of the ways I do this is through helping membership owners and course creators set up progress pod accountability groups that use the next tiny step method. If you would like to find out more about our progress pod accountability group system and how it can help your people make more progress and increase your membership retention, go to richardrelston.com. There's a link in the show notes. You can also contact me on Instagram at richardrelston. And if you've heard something in this episode that you thought was interesting, helpful or valuable, I'd really appreciate it if you would take the next tiny step and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. You might also like to share this podcast with a friend. Please remember to hit the subscribe button. Until next time, remember to use the next tiny step method to help you focus on progress because it's your tiny steps taken consistently over time that will enable you to produce massive results.